welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Hey Peter, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? Good, thank you for having me. No, it's, it's a pleasure. It's, it's, um, it's great to be here. Um, just for the listeners, I guess it makes sense for us to say where we are. So I'm over in Copenhagen. You are. You're home. Yeah, so, indeed. Um, so I guess first thing we, we tend to do, Peter, is I tend to ask my, um, my interview person um, to pick four numbers from one to a hundred. So can you pick four random numbers for me, please? Yeah, that's going to be 10. Yep. It's going to be 37. Yep. It's going to be 63. Yep. And it's going to be 1. So that's 10, 37, 63, and 1. Perfect. We will come back to them a little bit later on. All right. So I tend to ask my guests to come up with a bit of a logline about who they are and what they're about. Can you remember what yours was, Peter? Well, you made me think about this one. So... I mean, I, I used to be the guy who would run around just calling out bullshit anywhere I could in L&D. I used to be known as that person and that would probably be my, my line if, if you would ask me like a year ago. And now I just, I'm just at a state now, I'm probably growing up, but it's, it's more of a, that doesn't change a thing. So now I'm just about just work and no talk, just work and prove it. Okay, okay. And I, I, I'm going to get into that with you a little bit later on for sure. So... Before we even get into it, I think I want to take you right back to your childhood. So when you was in school and the teacher would say, Peter, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, what is it you would say to the teacher? I wanted to be a teacher. All right, okay. At, well, I mean, all the way back, I wanted to be a footballer first. I kind of slowly found out that was never going to be something I could live from, right? So, yeah, then I wanted to be, I think I wanted to be in the hotel business as well. I want to be a hotel manager at some point. Okay. I don't know why. <laughs> but it's random. And then I wanted to be a teacher. And probably it started in, in, in like kind of the seventh grade when I you know, start to do presentations often. And like I got some appraisals for that. And people thought I was good doing that. And then it's just like, he's good at presenting. And, and I kind of liked it, got creative about it. And I wanted to do something different than just standing there and talking, which is freaking boring. So, and then I think the teacher said, you should be a teacher. And then that was like, okay, <laughs> I'll try that. So, yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> so, so, I guess, at what point did you... In fact, let me park that. Let me park that just before we do it. It occurred to me, kind of, you know, my listeners might not who, know who you are. So, maybe if you could give us a bit of a, a whistle-stop tour of kind of where you've come from to where you are now. And kind of, yeah, what the, what the touch points of that journey look like. Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, if, if we're talking professional, I think we are. I started out um, when it became something about learning in, in a business school when I was hired as a teacher. I was a salesperson. I was doing pretty well. But then all of a sudden, I, I just fell into this crisis and I, I, I started hating sales, which I think is, is something some people do at least. Most people like kind of hate sales. So I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I want to do something different. So I, I had to dig deep. And then I dug back to the, the time where, you know, was I in, in school and, and the teachers told me you should be a teacher. So I decided to try that out. And I started becoming a business school teacher. And then, uh, because I was probably the youngest one in the faculty, I was like, that guy is young. We need something digital. We should have that guy do something digital. I'm like, okay, if that's my chance, then I'll do it. And I actually kind of liked it. So I started looking into how we could digitalize um, education and that business school. Um, and eventually that became a department, uh, not run by me, but I was part of that team that did the first run about um, 
it was on Moodle, I think, okay. <laughs> the first one on the uh, on the digital learning side, and very primitive, obviously. Went on to do some more advanced stuff, uh, starting up a platform um, in another business school, uh, where we where micro learning was the next big thing. So we started doing micro modules and articulate storyline and. Did a platform it was WordPress based. It was pretty cool, but it never really landed anywhere. Um, and then I went working for Siemens, where I started getting into corporate things. Um, yeah, so really the corporate machine there. Uh, start, stayed there for three and a half years, I think. Did some VR, AR stuff, which was is buzzwordy, but also pretty cool in a learning experience context. It was pretty cool. You can do some pretty amazing stuff with those technologies. And then I kind of, you know, I wanted to do something different than corporate, I thought, so I started working for a vendor um, and I only stayed there for six months because I missed corporate. And there's an explanation to that and I think we can dig into that at some point, but that's what I did. So I'm, I'm, I'm in corporate now where I head up the learning, uh, digital learning department here, um, the team, where we try to deliver and, and designed its learning for about 43,000 people. So quite the task and an interesting thing to do and a difficult thing to do. So not a lot of people then, eh? <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah, no, <laughs> just your average 43,000 different people, right? So yeah, well, it's an interesting challenge and it, it's an interesting company, so. So so kind of going from kind of this, um, going from like say, corporate vendor back to corporate. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about what, what, what you missed, I guess. I mean, when you're on the corporate side, you're the customer, right? So you get to define what you want. And when you're on the vendor side, you don't get to decide what you want to deliver. The customer does. And my frustration around that was that I don't think the customer really knew what they needed. They often just defined what they wanted without having done proper research, having real a real interest in doing things. What I would say, and this is very egocentric, I know, but the right way of doing things um, so we often ended up or I was only there for six months but we kind of ended up doing things half you know or just somewhat along the way we wanted to but had to make a lot of compromises that we knew was going to you know fail but we had to do it because the client defined them so I'm thinking that's not for me I want to go back to the corporate side where I can decide or I can at least participate in the decision process around deciding what we need and just change the world from there. Because I think that's a lot of it. That is, what the customers define as a good thing is a bit far, as I can see it from a generalistic point of view, from the things that they need. It, it's, 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 it can always be discussed, I'm sure. But um, I thought that I, and I think that I can do some more good on this side than I could on the other side. Mm. I think the vendors are doing an exquisite job. I think they're doing a lot of good things. And a lot of L&D people that I talk to uh, re um, frequently are based in companies, vendors, servicing companies or uh, co corporates like mine. And they want to do the right thing, but they often end up in a situation where they deliver something they're not proud of or something they know is going to fail. And that's because the customer dictates what the product should be. Yeah. So I want to be on that side. Um, I want to be part of defining something greater. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds a bit cheesy, but it is. That's the reason. So I went back to corporate. I think what happens is you you, you tend to, I think over your career you you tend to look back on certain points and go these are the highlight moments, you know. And I think 
you know, you want to get as many highlight moments and moments within your career where you go, I'm glad I did that. I'm really proud of this moment and that moment and that moment. So I think it, it's a good show. It's that thing of, you know, being in-house, you can you get more steer of a boat, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I've worked from a corporate, I've worked in a startup, and, that, and obviously I'm a consultant now. Um, and I think each have the values. And I think one can't exist without the other as yeah. well. Right. You know, you need right. you need Avengers to kind of challenge a little bit and come up with a seventy percent solution to what a problem a business problem might a business might be facing as a problem. Mm. So I think you need that kind of you need you know black can't exist without white and stuff. So yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. So kind of talking about the AR and VR, I actually just want to you recently did an article on mm. LinkedIn about text bullet points within VR. Um, Assuming my, my listeners haven't haven't read that, yeah, can you maybe tell us a little bit what kind of provoked you to to write that? Yeah, it's just so interesting because in my in my previous position in the VR AR company that I worked for, uh, and also in Siemens, basically, uh, pretty much all in Siemens, I got presented with a lot of different VR experiences. So I've been try I've tried a lot, and more often than not, I get to stand in a situation where I put on the headset. I've got my two controllers in my hands, ready to you know go explore and do that's that technology is just magic. You can immerse people into a different universe, and and you'll see the behavior while people standing just in an empty room or with something just lying around. They'll start throwing it around. They'll start uh, killing each other. They'll start doing <laughs> crazy stuff because it's another world where you can do that, right? So you can test and you can train stuff which you can't really do in real life. That's the that's such a huge benefit with VR. So what I see is, and that's probably again to the same discussion as we just had, you will see people, or I'll go in and then I'll just stand and read a lot of text in VR. And I'm like, who did this? Did they try to convert an e-learning into VR? It could be a lean training where you have to read a lot and then you have to watch something happening and then you might have to point and click at some questions coming up at the screen. It's like, I could have done this on a, you know, on my laptop, or I shouldn't have done it at all. So, VR is not for that. I mean, just don't stop designing stuff that's not for the technology. Mm. That that's basically it. And and you don't want to stand with a headset on. It's pretty heavy and it's warm. You don't want to stand there and just read. Why should you do that? Could could you answer that question? <laughs> Why? No, no, I can't. I think back to probably one of the best. Um, VR experiences I've had. I've had one which is like a true immersive VR and I've had one which is more like a 360 video, I guess. Right. Um, one of them was about um, Chernobyl and it was like walking yeah. through that and that was pretty cool. Yeah. That was really, and there was a bit where you walk into this swimming pool and you're on the downboard and you're looking down and I'm like, whoa, I feel a bit dizzy. I, I got that kind of, I felt like I was quite high and yeah. And then the other one was you you walked into an art gallery and you could immerse yourself into the paintings. So right. you had Mona Lisa and she would be smiling at you and you could engage with. So that's the ones which I really enjoy. It completely take me out somewhere where I can never go in real life. Right. And it throws me into something where I can play. Mm -hmm. I can I can be something what well, I can't be in a normal day to day. Yeah. But I think we see this a lot in L&D where we have something which is the limit you know, there's no limit to what we can do. Our imagination is our only limit. And the first thing we, we do, that, I think, in L&D sometimes is we go, whoa, we need to put some restrictions on this. Yeah. We need to not let them, like, play and enjoy it. We need to put some walls around this baby quick. Yeah, we need to define what they're supposed to learn and we need to define what they're supposed to do. And that just contradicts any 
you know, any way that I see people are learning. Mm. So there's different approaches to VR. You can go in, you know, instrumental and you can, you can just define how people should go through an experience. You can do step by step or you can do explorative, mm. which is going to set you free. And from what I've seen uh, from research um, that I've read around this, the explorative way is the right way to go and it's no surprise. But we keep seeing the other thing. People want to define what you're supposed to learn. This is how you operate this machine. This is the button you press. So they put in a text box, they put in an arrow, and then they point it to the button. And then you can take your hand and maybe push it if it's necessary, right? Instead of letting you do some pre-work or just go in and experience and try it out and fail. Um, and, And it's just, it's a matter of people think they, you know, they want to control and define, which for me, is not learning anymore it's information and it's no i don't know it's 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 like this thing of it needs to be a straight line it needs to have a start and stop that's it it. it's a straight line like no life isn't like that at all it's it's a squiggly mess and it's lots of dead ends and lots of hidden doors into new new experiences and it's like in my head i see it a bit like nanny where you walk through the wardrobe and you can that's how it should be it should be this it should drive this curiosity, this thing of what's around that corner. Yeah. You know, it's not this, you've got to go this corner. Exactly. It's, I can choose if I want to or if I don't. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, who wants to play a game where you're just taken through it step by step? No one wants to do that. And there's a lot of good research out there on embodiment, for, for one, which is really, really interesting. So if you're in VR and you, you kind of model your hands as they're supposed to be in VR, or just like human hands, you will see people protecting their limbs when they get close to, to dangerous stuff. As opposed to if you just designed your hands as claws, bear claws, or something you know that looks like robot hands, yeah. then you won't have the same feeling about it. So from research, you can see that people, if you model hands like they are in real life, they'll start protecting it. This is Whoa. interesting. And then if you got a room full of furniture, right? Just a room full of furniture, you can walk around it. But if you're in VR, and you see people in a room with furniture and they start walking around the couch or, you know, obstacles, they'll start avoiding it and walking around it. It's because they, the, the mind thinks they're there. Yeah. It, it accepts them, right? You could just, in, in reality, you can just walk straight through them. Yeah. But you don't because your brain is immersed and it believes everything you see. It doesn't, in real um, sense, treat it as truth because you know that you're not in that room. Yeah. But your brain takes it in. And you will adapt your behavior towards the room that your, your brain thinks you're in. That leaves us with a thousand opportunities. It's like an open-ended world of opportunities, inf- infinite opportunities to mold behavior, which is also kind of scary, right? We need ethics on that, <laughs> obviously. But why would you want to read a PDF in VR? Mm-hmm. I just, that's why I wrote it. I just don't get it. And I don't think that should be a first choice just because the customer wants it. We should be better. Yeah, and I, I, it's that thing of the right tool for the right problem, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned about the PDF. And it's like, actually, most people don't even want to do a PDF anymore. We just don't got time, right? We're, we're busy. Like, exactly. an interactive PDF. No, I ain't got time for this. Give me something quick. Um, and right. it's that right tool. It, it reminded me of, um, I think I was reading probably, probably four or five months ago. I'm not really sure what sort of, don't know how to categorize it, whether it was a VR experience or not, but basically, there was a room, a bit like this, 
and you had your headset on. And a video you was watching was a video of you on a mezzanine looking at you. Whoa. Yeah, and you're saying like how it can it can completely baffle the brain yes. and because you're looking at yourself in this experience. Um, I'll try and send you the link. It oh, was quite cool. Awesome. And you're saying how it was um, co- causing confusion with the left and the rights because oh. of how the it. Yeah, I'll I'll send you the link. It's it's a it's a good read. Um, but obviously you've talked about kind of you know going through Siemens to where you are now and stuff. You know. We before we press record, we was talking about how failure is is vital to kind of growth, and I guess when we go for interviews and we get we get told in an interview you've got to give the best version of yourself, and I actually think one of the questions we should be saying is is what does your failure resume or your failure CV look like? So if it's to ask Peter, what what does your failure resume? What what jumps out to you? What maybe opportunity was where? In the, in the moment, it feels like a failure, but on hindsight, it was yeah. a real positive, maybe. <laughs> Where should I start? <laughs> I have a lot. Um, mostly, it evolves around um, my, my own productions. It's like, I can, you know, I can think that an e-learning that I did, I did a game once, like a game-based e-learning. Um, it was pretty good. It was a great narrative. It was a great story. But it was just so much overkill. I mean, when people had to take it, it was like, why do we want to be dragged through this? And I'm like, yeah, but the graphics are great and the story is great and everything here is really working. We've done such a good job on setting this up and right. So what we didn't do was user research. We did not look into anyone uh, before we did it. We just thought this would be cool. Mm. And I fell into the trap of just thinking I was a pretty decent designer and this was really working. and. It was a huge mistake. I should have never done that. It was it was for my own sake, and I didn't do any user research. And also, you know, that platform that we did um, with all the micro learning stuff, we went into producing articulate storyline packages here and there, and we just we went kind of overboard in the graphics as well, and just make it look nice, and just the interactions were nice, and we thought people would learn a lot, but we did not adapt it to user behavior at all. That was a major failure. Um, and, and basically what I'm trying, what I'm chasing right now is to find out what, what's the solution? How am I going to tackle this? How am I going to do this? Because I'm not at a point, you know, I, I, can, I can definitely, and I've done that on LinkedIn and I've done that in conversations with people. I can always, I'm pretty good at, at you know, trashing things that I, <laughs> I, I, I think look wrong. But can I make up my own solutions to these things? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And I need to prove that to myself right now. So I'm failing a lot right now. I'm really testing out whether I can, I can help people out there with solutions surrounding what you can call digital learning. I'm really challenging whether I'm able to, to do that right. And I'm, I'm just failing all the time right now. I'm still falling into the trap of thinking that something will work and then it won't. Yeah. So we'll kind of mitigate that through design thinking and we can use all the buzzwords, agile and all that stuff and go out and test it. But I'm still making mistakes. And I think what I'm coming to a conclusion to every time I learn something, right, is that I probably can't do my job as they described it because I'm not going to be able to deliver digital learning to 43,000 people in one and make it work. I mean, I think if you're talking learning and digital learning in, in all, one thing is I can't control when people learn. I can't control what they learn from the stuff that I put out there. 
but I can definitely just put something out there that I think will work, test it out, try it out, and then learn from that experience and move on. And then if I really want to dig deep with changing behavior and all that stuff, I'll need to go a lot deeper, spend a lot more time, and, and also be a lot more thorough. So, and that contradicts the whole argument for digital learning, which is often like, have to be, you know, we can distribute this across yeah. yay many nations globally and, you know, yeah. cutting costs and all that stuff. Just throwing information out there on a fancy platform and then that'll change stuff. I just, you know, we, we have to realize that, that that's a mistake. We mm. cannot do that. It sounds like, I mean, your journey sounds, the fact that you're going on your personal journey at the moment sounds really Really interesting, actually, yeah. <laughs> and and I think you know there's an area where, not vulnerability, but being honest, and it, it's really interesting. Just today, I posted a new article out saying the biggest thing before we even get into design is recognizing that your ego is your enemy, yeah. and that thing of you thinking what is right without the thing what you mentioned actually going asking the users. I've done it myself. It's yeah. it's like I know this will work exactly, and then you launch it like. Wow, that was shocking. That was really bad. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you learn from it, right? Yeah, yeah. You massively. can still fall into the trap eventually in another setting. It's easy to yeah. fall into that, isn't it? And it was interesting. Someone once said to me, the best way to challenge your own bias is when you've designed something, look at it and go, actually, what do I want this to be? You know, what what do I want to be successful here? And I said, that's your blind spots. The bits what you want to be successful is probably the things where you've not looked at it enough because you put your own bias towards it. Yeah. But yeah, it sounds, sounds, I mean, I think the one thing you've got is a wide audience. For, what is it? 43? 43,000 people, you yeah. say? It's a, it's a big, it's a big number. Yeah, yeah. yeah, when we can't cater to everyone at the same time, but there's an, ex there's, I mean, I'm lucky. I'm in a position now where my management and the management above us, they really believe in you know taking another another or a different turn than what we've done the last 25 years not here in Novo Nordisk but generally just within digital learning we've been thinking that if we just put in technology as a platform or a format or something and then distribute stuff through that that's going to change people's behavior or that's going to make people learn more or better mm. i think that's a mistake yeah and that whole digitalization journey is just interesting. Did anyone ask if digitalization is a good thing necessarily? I, I mean, so. digital learning is modern still. And when I when I meet people in organizations and say, I'm, I'm the head of digital learning, it's like, whoa, we should get a piece of that. That yeah. sounds interesting. I'm like, why? It, do, have you answered that question on why you're asking this, you know, why you think, why you think that this will be a good idea for you guys? So also part of my job is to challenge whether that's that's the thing. And we've been making that mistake for a couple of decades, and I've been part of it as well, just thinking that digital is going to solve things. Yeah. And it's probably not, because a lot of evidence, you know, contradicts that. And, and what, we're just not seeing people taking on platforms like we think they would. So like we've get we've got now we've now it's a learning experience platform, right? That's the new 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 flex. <laughs> so we'll we'll. we'll enter with one of those and then we have a platform and people can log in and they can start taking curated personalized adaptive stuff and they can just browse around and the algorithm will solve it for us and you know that's not going to change anything we can't just we, we know from history now that letting people go on the platform that uh, like that is not going to solve anything we're not going to see the behavior we want mm. at least i haven't seen have you seen any evidence of that happening 
No, no. So it, there might be someone out there who can tell a different story, but I think it's more normal than not that this just not, doesn't play out the way we think it would. Mm. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it takes a lot of effort, and there's a lot of new goals what come up based around that. Yes. You know, an example, yeah. a simple example is a community manager. Exactly. Vital. I am a firm believer in communities of practice. Etienne and Beverly Wenger's work is, is amazing and Julian Studd is one of my heroes. I really like his work and well, we need to put you know people in the same room doing the same kind of stuff so they can reflect with each other and learn from each other and co-create and all that stuff. That's really, that's really impactful. That yeah. really moves something. That doesn't have to be digital. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Exactly. Right. Some, some of the best conversations I've ever had is, has been in a lift. Probably coming from the first floor to the, like the third. It's like, and and it is that it's some opportunities of getting people together. Yeah, and I guess a lot of the times with clients, I tend to go, actually, have you even have you got a community? Try community first. Yeah, try community first, and you'll see what comes out of that. Then make a better. It's it's kind of about getting more data, right? To kind of either underpin or blow out your assumption. It's a great way to get data. It's a great way to get your data is to just let people into a community and you need to you need to do some work in that community to activate yeah. it and give people a reason and, and get people going in there and start the conversations and all that stuff. You need to do some work uh, to make that happen. But once you've got it um, a decent flow in there, you'll get very valuable data on what the organization needs and what that group could benefit from and, and where they're at. And yeah, it's 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 just it's just a lot better than that old I mean, how many times a day do you log in to your learning experience platform, just browse around to find something useful? Never. <laughs> and even if it's curated and personalized just for you, because you want to be a better project manager, do you open up your application and say, I want to start this module? It sounds very interesting. No. <gasps> no. And it just does not, it's not human behavior. So we, we keep designing features which have potential, but in real life, we just don't know whether they will work. And I, I get that people need to sell their platforms to make a living. And I, I get that if we use them just as they're thought out to be used, that it might be able to work in our organizations. But it's just not human behavior. Yeah. And that's interesting. So I don't know how to... Do you have a solution to that? I mean, I know that they need product to market and we need to have something, but... I, I think... So I, I created a community of around about 100 hundred. L&D professionals, WhatsApp community. Yeah. And I created it for a few different reasons, really. And what I'd say is it's, what, two years in now, still thriving community. And that community has ch changed and adapted to what the people needed it to be. So it's set out to be to what it is now. It's gone through many stages of mm -hmm. change because it needs to be whatever the audience needs. My worry is, is I'm not sure how an LXP does that. I don't know if, you know, we can put quite a rigorous LXP in place but if our audience needs something in a year's time, and and this is kind of where I like Amy Boval's concept of remixing, yeah. taking something, being able to remix it and turn it into something what initially might not have been the idea, but actually it fits a problem of what our people are facing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a necessary problem. I think what, what we're seeing now is we've seen one end of being everything has to be classroom, then we've gone the opposite and where everything needs to be digital. Mm -hmm. I think slowly but surely we're, we're, we're coming back from everything needs to be digital, you know, with some of the stuff which you mentioned. 
But I think you know, and I, I know you're you're a big um, a big kind of supporter of this of this flow of work and yeah. the stuff that comes. But may, maybe yeah, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what what that is to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, no. Just before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Could you imagine a company, one of your clients, or a big company without a learning platform? Yeah, I can. Can you name one who doesn't have one? No. <laughs> <laughs> Would they be better off without one? Well, yeah. I mean, I th- I personally think so. My, I mean, I'm I'm being a bit rebellious here, so I think actually there's an argument to say, would a business be better without the standard L and D team what we know now? Um, and actually, a lot of times the first thing I do is I tell people that you've got a LMS in place or a learning experience platform in place, switch off, yeah. switch off, and see how many people complain. I guarantee you, no one will care. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I fully agree, and that that's. Is that's a painful truth. Yeah. Some wrong decisions has you know have been made through, throughout this process of getting it, and a lot of hours and a lot of money has been thrown into that black hole, and someone has to rip that bandaid off and actually do something about it. So I I I, I completely agree. If if I'd seen behavior um, with our people just in every day, and like that's that that will go into the discussion of the flow of work, or the flow of day, or the flow of life. Yeah. Is like if I'd seen behavior where people like screaming for, you know, they'd be using platforms like that in, in their private lives, or mm. they'd be, ah, oh, we kind of need a platform for this, or that would be great, or started doing initiatives on their own to build stuff that would resemble a product like that, I'd say, okay, yeah, let's try it out. Let's try to do something cool and professional and set it up in, in, a, in, a, in a corporate wide sense. Let's, let's try it out. But I haven't, I haven't seen behavior like that. And people's behavior is, You've got your phone on you, right? Most people have their phone on them all the time. So that means now people think everything should be mobile. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, but what do you use your phone for? You use it for messaging. You use it for communities. You use it to go from A to B. You use it to listen to podcasts or to watch a video or to go on Facebook and, you know, all that stuff. That's what you use your phone for. So now then we try to cram all of our um, content on the mobile because we think that's where people are. And that's not learning in the flow of work. It's not creating mobile learning. Learning in the flow of work is adapting your learning wishes or what you think people should get, your training and learning activities or what you think people will get from, from all the things you throw out there, experiences for one. You have to adapt that to the behavior of the people. And you, it's such, it's so much easier adapting to that than changing it. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah. Well, because one's swimming with the tide, the other one's swimming against it. Yeah. And I, and I think, it's, I, I guess it, I find it, I find it tricky, and, I, and, you know, maybe this is due to the the decisions what I made about you know people who are higher above us in in corporates, but I yeah. always, I sometimes sit down and I think why. I understand there's, there's a need for an LMS and a very, but when I use an LMS, I mean a really lightweight for the compliance of, a, a, you know, the fire or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Like that, I understand. Yeah. yeah. But then, what, do we need it for anything else? And a great example of this is the stuff what Trace, Trace is doing, Tracy Waters from Sky. Yeah. No, no, no e-learning. They have, sorry, they have four pieces of e-learning, the whole of the business. And that's for the compliance, what they have to do, i.e. fire safety. The rest, there's no e-learning. Right. 
That's amazing. And and she's so she's so on the ball, Trace. And I'm I'm lucky to have her as a friend where I can just kind of drop her a message. Um, so it's doable. Mm-hmm. It's doable. But then, like one of the things which I asked Tracy was how how have you got to this point? Right. And she said because it's a lot of um, money in the bank from previous projects. You know, she's kind of built it up over time that credit to be able to go. Right. We're going to radically do something different here. Yeah. So I think it's doable. I think it's doable. But then it is like you say, you know, your boss's boss, which you mentioned you're lucky to have, who are, who are open to this. I just think it's, we live in a world of, um, you know, old systems and old ways of thinking. And unfortunately, they're just following us. And no one's had the, the, the balls to cut it off and go, that's it. We're going to do something completely different from this point onwards. Right. And it's a big hoax if you ask me especially around the compliance training so look at this you've got a bunch of compliance training which is e-learning basically just walking you or talking you through 45 minutes hour-long sessions about ethics or fire safety or something like that you do that once a year right yeah or you read through pdfs or whatnot there's a lot of compliance training especially in a heavily in you know regulated industry um, which I've been part of a couple of times so you need to take a lot of that you do it once once a year and then you just let into the business and that e-learning is then going to carry your behavior all through the next year mm. I, I mean <laughs> who in their right mind would and I'm thinking about compliance officers so I'm thinking about people who actually are responsible for compliance that, that the workforce is compliant how is that good enough for them? Mm. It's so I can't I cannot I just I can I can barely I can't bear the irony of that. How can you know as an adult person you understand no matter if you work in L and D or not that that is probably not the best way of keeping a workforce compliant to give them once a year e learnings yeah. on different topics that not, it's not relevant for their context right now and they probably find a lot of it ridiculous because it has nothing to do with their daily work so I mean how can that be okay from a compliance point of view how is that good enough how can you if you were a CEO in a, in a, in a big company and I was your compli- head of compliance and I you, you asked me a question is my workforce compliant and I'm like yeah here's the checklist of completed e-learnings would that be enough for you to sleep at night no not, not personally it's so ironic how come no one outside LND is flagging this as guys should we do better I think it is a reason why that doesn't happen because the monetary value what's attached to it like there's a monetary risk to it so I think so for example let's use the fire safety we go through that once a year Mm -hmm. If a fire goes off in there, I couldn't tell you which fire extinguisher to use. All I'm doing is getting out of the building. Yeah. So if I do a fire extinguisher course in six months ago, I couldn't tell you which extinguisher to use, which you know blanket or whatever else. So when you actually go, actually, there's one. There's no kind of learning awareness or whatever to it. And if he is, you know, we already know about how quickly we forget stuff anyway. It's you might as well have not done it at this point. But it is that thing of if someone was burned, injured, whatever, the business can go, well, they passed it, so, I mean, the onus is on them, not on us. It's that mon- I don't know if it's that monetary risk, I'm not sure. But it's not it's good enough. It's a legal thing. Yeah, 
It has nothing to do with learning and training. And if we wanted to do that right, we would do it differently, right? Mm. So if you wanted to use, you know, learn, teach someone or create learning around using a fire extinguisher correctly, how would you go about it? <laughs> I would give him experiences. Yeah. But I'm, I'm massively biased to that anyway. <laughs> oh, I know, but it's probably going to work a lot better than giving them an e-learning of, you know, 50 slides where the extinguisher is shown on pictures and people using it and which buttons to choose and which building it's in and how to put out a fire if it's chemical or whatnot. Mm. I mean, why with any knowledge of learning and didactics and anything about human behavior, would we choose a solution like a, an e-learning for that? I believe personally, and I might be wrong, that it comes from a cost perspective. Yeah. It's cheaper. And we don't care if it's efficient. And actually, I think that's kind of wrong. I actually think it's, it's a little bit insulting that you throw that e-learning out to people and say, well, that's it. Now we're good. You know where it is now and you know how to use it. And we expect you to know that throughout the, ne the next year. And then you can come back and take this wonderful e-learning again. It's like, is that how you keep your workforce safe? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've never really looked at it from that angle. It's not about necessarily the business, it's about keeping your workforce. I've never looked at it and gone, actually, I need to know this because Peter might be in trouble and I need to know which fire extinguisher to, to save him with, you know, to put out a fire. I've never looked at it like that. I've always gone, the business need me to know this because I've got to get through it as quick as possible and I've got to say, I'm compliant. Yeah. I've never really looked at it from the angle of, actually, I need to know this to be able to protect my, my fellow colleagues. And that's what we're all talking about, right? We're talking about responsibility yeah. and accountability for each other. And then we're doing that. <laughs> it's just the irony of that is, is you know, it's so thick that I, I, I think it's interesting. And then we're back to the story about calling out bullshit and then doing something about it. I haven't reached the level yet where I can make a solution for this. I think experiences would be a lot better. But how do you scale that? That's going to be the question from the bosses upstairs, right? Yeah. How do you scale that? Because we only have this few people to create it and we have to scale it across the globe and how do we do that effectively yeah it's going to cost too much it's going to be too much of an intrusion into every day you know every people or every person's work day like you said we're all busy so how do we do that smart and i think that you know jumping to the thought of digital and you know we can distribute this a lot easier would come to mind eventually saying okay let's make a compromise yeah we just need to do this and that's where this was born. I just think it's wrong. I'm yeah. not sure it's true. <laughs> no, I think I think I think I think you're definitely on the money. I think experiences do experiences are hard with scale for sure. It's doable. You just need to think a little bit longer and hard about how you do it. Um, you know, we I designed one which was about um, DPA, mm -hmm. and it was a social engineering. I ended up creating a social engineering experiment. And it was done, you know, via laptops and mobile devices and stuff. So there's a way to scale it. It just needs a bit more thought. And but it is that. I mean, you know, the experiences. I think for me, it, it gives someone an experience about something what they don't care about. And fire safety is, is just that thing. We no exactly. really cares. It never happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like. Hey, sorry we interrupted your podcast, but we just wanted to let you know about Vendely, where finding learning has developed. At Vendorly, we understand the pain points of looking for reliable vendors and securing new clients. We've created a platform to help you with this, save you time and help you flourish. 
we want you to be the first to see it. So head over to vendorly.co.uk and take a peek. That's Vendorly with a double N. It's interesting. I remember when I was young, because we were talking quite a bit about like fire safety. When I was young, the local um, fire service put this thing on for children. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking like I must have been about 12, 13 years old. So way back. <laughs> and they give us an experience. They built they built a station and it was talking about, you know, when the fire goes off, you need to get down low. And they had this blanket, you walk through this door and they had a blanket with wind blowing to, you know, to say that this is smoking. You had to crawl along it. Yeah. But I can still remember that now. I can still remember it now. I'm what thirty six years old, and I can still remember that. It had an emotional impact. On yeah, me, didn't it? yeah. It's crazy. And same with, with the first aid one. A couple of probably about a year ago, um, I was driving, and someone had come off a bike, having a fit and stuff like that. And no one ever gave me health and safety training by any learning. And I remembered exactly what to do, even though I probably my my first aid. Um, certificate has probably expired at this point, but I can remember how to get them into recovery position. I remember how to check the airways. I can remember. I can remember stuff because they didn't give me an e-learning. They give me an experience. The first aid training, what I had yeah. was was very experiential and kind of, and I could still recall in it quite quick. Yeah. And for me, that's the power of 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 experiences, like you say, that emotive kind of visual response where it has on you. Um, and how can you digitalize that kind of experience? I don't think you can. I think you have to. Um, I think you can to a point, I think you can, I think what should really happen is you should give them experiences and then around the the experience as such, we should use, we should scaffold that with digital mm-hmm. as and when needed. Exactly. To ask the question why. Yeah. 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 But it, it's, it is a challenge. It is a challenge. But it's that thing of, well, we haven't got that, so we should do this, I think is a wrong way to look at things. Yeah, and we don't know if it'll work because we do know, and now we're taking your case here, that worked, right, for you. Yeah. But it would be a difficult thing to scale that experience to 43,000 people within, you know, hmm. just a small amount of time, Yeah. which is what we need. So we can even spend a hell of a lot of money on keeping ourselves safe with that kind of experience training. Or we can just, you know, as as we do, just say, hell, it, you know, we'll have to digitalize this. Let's go for it, and then we are not asking the question whether this will work. Yeah, because we don't. We don't ask the questions like, will this actually work? And we, I mean, this is generalizing, but I've never been part of an, an initiative where we, after releasing some kind of LND um, experience or you know, e-learning or training. We never really asked the question, was this effective? Did it actually make a difference? Mm. We don't go back to it. We are always you know, moving on to the next Roll project or, yeah. or just comforting ourselves with that people were satisfied with this. And there is no correlation between satisfaction and, and learning, right? So yeah. we need more. And this is interesting because we shut our eyes on purpose yeah. we, and, and we just you know, we don't ask the questions that we need to be asking, if you ask me. I wonder, and and let's just take the thing for fire safety again. I wonder mm-hmm. if there's ever been a situation where, touch wood, no one's got seriously, you know, there's no death, but whether someone has took someone to court and, and kind of said, what did you give them to give them that awareness and that knowledge to be able to tackle that fire and whatever, and they've gone, we give them this e-learning. I wonder if there's a case somewhere where that's 
gone to that level. I'm not. I, I mean, I'm just thinking that would be amazing. But it'd be a great example to say, you know, especially the court turned around and went, this isn't adequate for this real life situation right now. Yeah. Hmm. How many e-learnings are tested? Yeah. And then afterwards, just you know, see if people act differently. Yeah. How many go through that whole entire process? No. No. No one is interested in asking that question. Just want to push out information. And then I'm back to the calling out bullshit kind of role, right? <laughs> so how do we solve that? Um, and we're working on it, but it's it's just, and you can obviously do a lot of good things also with what you do, um, but it's just people keep asking the wrong questions, right? They're going to keep asking for digital solutions because it can be globally widespread, easily, fast, on a platform somewhere. They don't really care if it works. Mm. You'll never get them to admit you know, yeah. they care, but it's not their main concern. And I think that's something that we as corporate L&D and L&D in general, we can, we can get, you know, we can get stronger in our position around, around that question saying, guys, is this, you know, when we walked in and we had the introduction conversation, yeah. you said, LXP, why? You've got Teams, you've got Yammer, you've already got Microsoft products. Why would you want another platform for this if you can just test it out right now here and see if it works? I'm not sure people who suggest an LXP would be interested in that answer. Mm. Yeah, that is true. But it's a hard one what sits with you because you're kind of like, why would you not ask that question? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Surely that's the first thing you would ask. Yeah, well, if you get the answer, the answer is a difficult one because none of us can guarantee if, if you were asked, will this work if we digitalize this and we make it as an e-learning and it goes out to 43,000 people, will it have the same effect? Just try to imagine how much work is in proving that mm. or just get your head around that whole process of finding out if that was the right solution or testing it or whatnot. It is so much easier. It is so much more um, system one just to say, well, we hope so, or we think so, or it might, there's a good chance because it has these features and people will use it. It has potential and all that stuff. It's difficult. What we do is not easy. And if we want to do it right, and you know that we need to design, you know, deep experiences with a lot of senses being triggered and a lot of, of different aspects of that has to be very well thought of, right? It has to be carried out very carefully. It takes effort and it probably also takes longer time and more budget than we have. Yeah. So I'm, as you know, in my role, I'm not, you know, well, obviously we're, we're going for an XP to test it out to see what potential it has, but the platform doesn't concern me a lot. What, what concerns me is our role in getting the platform to work because there's going to be a lot of work in that. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a tool. So we'll be starting asking, I think, some of the right questions on does our content work? Does it change anything out there? Do we, can we reduce the amount, as you said about, you know, the, the sky thing, can we reduce the number of trainings and e-learnings and SOPs and whatnot that people are are experiencing out there and can we can we do something good with the right things at the right time is what we're trying to you know we don't care what kind of format it comes in yeah um, whether it happens on the platform or not 
we're not sure. We're probably pretty much sure that it's not going to happen on the platform. Yeah. But we'll try to work with the things in and around it and not the platform itself. It's an interesting one, which just got me triggered to recently. I ran a, a pilot, kind of very similar, actually, mm-hmm. I think. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but um, basically this audience was stretched across the globe. And it was a, a, an audience of facilitators who the business used to get in to present, like, I don't know, to do their training, maybe induction or whatever, whatever, whatever. And what they found was the, the facilitators who we got in felt very disconnected. So I brought in a platform. I, actually, let's correct that. I didn't bring in a platform. I picked the project up mm-hmm. and the platform was already decided. Right. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> Just to make that. sure that you're not here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was interesting, like one of the key call-outs was I suggested was we, we don't use a platform for learning. Mm-hmm. We use a platform for community and we'll give them some areas where they can dip into if they want. And we said we'll address three areas. One, I'm new. Two, the business, what's happening in the business. And three, actually, what else should I, what else can I need to know? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's up to you. We won't prescribe it. You don't have to complete it. Say if you want it. And I said, fundamentally, this thing what we've created here will only work depending on the community manager yeah. and an admin and it's interesting how many roles come up to make that platform successful you end up having five separate roles to do that and um it was interesting and i, and I kind of and I, I, I don't want to say i predict it in an eagle kind of way but i said what you will see from the behavior of the audience you won't be able to plan for because like you, like you mentioned there's so many things we haven't thought about and it was interesting how um for example, one of the trainers, one of the trainers was like, "This is how I prep my room on day one," and took pictures of the room and like, "Here, here's a post over here, and whatever, whatever, and here's some seat covers and whatever else." This is how I prep my room, and it was that knowledge sharing what became really interested. This is where I go when I'm staying over in in I don't know California. These are places to go to. These are places to avoid. Don't go there. Go here. Mm. That's what people cared about. That was a thing. What we cared about. We didn't care about the other so-called what we thought people needed to learn, they cared about actually how can I make me traveling to California a lot easier and a lot safer. Yeah. And it was all the things what we didn't predict, which which is interesting because the person who put the pictures up of, say, the training room, that's been mimicked now in Japan. Yeah. And they're like, that's the power of that, not the learning. The power is the communication. Yes. So. I agree. But then going back to the question, going full circle, that can be found in Teams. That can be found Slack. I honestly don't care where it's found. If yeah. people have conversations, we, we've won. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, I mean, that's the most important things. And then we can build resources for them to help foster those conversations, being effective and sharing the you know best practices and all that stuff is good. But if we can have people, you know, going into conversations and reflecting on stuff and evolving and all that, making mistakes and all that stuff. That's learning. That's all mm. we need. Um, so if that happens on the platform or that happens in WhatsApp, I don't care. Yeah. Um, so the question is, how do we tie that up to performance? Because somebody upstairs is going to pay your yeah. you know, your wages. Yeah. And, and, and how are you going to justify that as a learning professional? If you go in, imagine going into a boardroom, right? And you're saying, well, what's important to me is conversations, right? 
I don't care where they happen. So it can be in WhatsApp, anywhere. So and it can be about anything. I can't control that. I don't know when people learn or what they learn. And, and that's going to be up to them. It's going to be up to the community. And that's what we believe in. <laughs> You've got a room full of ties there. And like, what? I mean, where's the ROI? Where's the KPIs? And what are we going to get in the end? And how's this, how's this going to, you know, how are we going to make sure that people know what they're supposed to know? And all yeah. that's just so, such a different paradigm. And we're still playing ball in that old paradigm. Mm. That's, that's still on the table. It's like, what are we going to get in the end of this? How can we control what people learn? How can we, you know, decide on what kind of content people should access and when and what and where and all that stuff? And it contradicts uh, human behavior, which we know, but those two paradigms are so far apart. Mm. It's, it, it's difficult for me to find out how are we going to bridge that? How are we going to, you know, adapt to human behavior, watch people thrive and learn in communities of practice and just getting, you know, getting on conversations, mm. sharing that kind of behavior we want in a free environment alongside the corporate machine who wants to define and control. Yeah. And justify. Exactly. Justify. It, it's an interesting one. I think, you know, especially when it comes to communities, for me, I, I think I've made this term up, but if I'm not, I'm sorry. If I'm, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but it was this, there's two different types of communities. You've got your slow and fast burn community. So you've got your slow burn, which is like your phone based question, wait for various answers. And then you've got your fast burn, WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. But what, what, I, what I noticed a while ago, probably a good few years ago, is the problems which are happening for your people They've already figured out their solution before L&D even get involved. Yeah. Like they've already adapted. They've already gone, actually, I don't know how to. It, in fact, I'll take it right back to when I was at um, Tesco Mobile and it was a leadership. And they was like, oh, you, you know, you get all this great leadership program, free, three months or whatever. And actually, they say the WhatsApp community for the leaders. And it's like, oh, which, which um, direction do I manage this person out of the business on? Is it? A p- pillar, B pillar, C pillar. And like, it was a question to be other managers like the C pillar. And it's, it's, it's hard because we think we know the, so we think we make the assumption that we know the problem. Then we think we've made the solution and realistically your people have already gone all the way around and figured out the solution. What was <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> I think that's such a funny thing, right? It's just, how do we take ourselves seriously <laughs> in that equation? It's like people just avoiding what you thought and what you meant and everything just going their own way. And you're like, you're left behind yeah. <laughs> with all your work. But I think it comes, I think it comes back to the first thing that you mentioned at the start of this conversation. And that is that understanding. If you understand that problem right at the very start, they will care about your solution at the end. But you need to observe and understand it, yes. right? You do. And how much do you do that? I, I mean, the places that I've been working in, and I'm, I'm also, it's, it's been myself as well, we are afraid to get our hands dirty. Yeah. I mean, just doing real work and going out there, sitting next to people, it's like, oh, can I really do that? And who do I call? And, and do I have to spend the whole day? And what do I do? And when I get out there, I'm like, am I in the way? Or what, you know? and, 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 and it's much more, I mean, I've, we've all, We've been talking about L&D as, you know, the ivory tower. We're like way up there making strategies, making plans, introducing platforms and projects, rolling them out, 
change management and all that buzzwordy stuff and it just falls somewhere in the organization like a bomb yeah and then we're disappointed that people don't pick it up and what we need to be doing is real work i've often been in doubt whether i would make more value as an employee in the company i was in by just going out to someone random random person's desk at the, in the morning and just say, can i help you with your work today instead of sitting in the ivory tower figuring out the new digital learning strategy <laughs> making powerpoint slides and just there's a steering committee we need to present that to we need to get it approved that sounds reasonable they say because they i, don't, I guess don't know it sounds good but it does mm-hmm. no one knows no one's asking the question will this work and if they are they're taking some explanation of it might work as a you know ratifying argument and it's bullshit we need to go out and we need to get our hands dirty we need to go out and observe people we need to go out and ask people we need to get in the production areas we need to you know get in where people have problems and we need to start solving them from there because mm. i mean yeah the other thing is just an illusion but it's a nice illusion yeah and part of me also worries like for me going observing someone mm-hmm. is exciting for me like like the the observing and understanding is I really enjoy. I enjoy observing. I enjoy looking at someone in a role what I know nothing about, observing how they get around it, how they hack their way around the, the this crap systems that are in place and <laughs> yes. the crap processes. Like for me, that's really. I'm, but I don't know. I'm 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 naturally quite curious anyway, and I don't know if everyone's always natural curious. But for me, that's really exciting stage. That observing and understanding is really exciting. It is. I agree, putting on lenses of, of the people out there yeah. and designing for that. But also, one, one, another thing is one thing is being curious and doing observations. The other thing is just making videos, just making podcasts, just writing stuff up, just you know, going into a community and activating people, just doing real work. Yeah. It's a rare thing these days. But it is more interesting to make another PowerPoint presentation where you can slow, you, you can show your new diagrams and your new mm. strategies with all the words, right words on it. And, and for me, that was an epiphany when I did that myself. I'm guilty of that myself. It's like, stop. Not another learning strategy. Yeah, yeah because I think the problem is with a learning strategy is by the time you think you're rolling it out, the business has changed anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and exactly in those, you know, it takes six months to make an e-learning and then like everyone's just moved on like it's no it's not a problem anymore <laughs> no one cares gdpr <laughs> what's that yeah. <laughs> oh yeah that one oh, how many millions went into that one yeah just a bit, just a bit. okay <laughs> i want to know a little bit about you pieces so if i if i was to ask you you have to give a book to five people as a gift what book would you give them um yeah well, I mean, obviously, how people learn with you know Nick's book. It's kind of like somewhat of a Bible. I love his work, but there's there's a couple of others I want to mention. And now you ask for one book, you're gonna get three. That's cool. Three is good. <laughs> These are not translated yet. Uh, there's one that is. It's called Debbie from Marketing Has Left for Today, and it's about behavioral design. It's a it's a guy called Morton Morton Münster. Made this, wrote this book, and he's he's amazing. Within behavioral design, why are we why are we designing stuff, you know, with with our minds instead of as we just talked about going out and making tests and trials and just looking at human behavior and designing for that? 
he's got amazing examples in that book and it's just that it's it'll make, it'll make you laugh but it'll also make you think and then there's another book it's only in danish but i just talked to the author today and he is you know thinking of translating this but it's you can you can maybe you can google translate it if you get the digital version <laughs> but it's called pseudo pseudo work and it's about it's, it's something about it's also in andre spice's blogs and in david graber's book that's called bullshit jobs learning professional is on that list of bullshit jobs uh-huh. it is and it's about what's creating value and what's creating soda work like what are we spending our time on is creating a one-hour e-learning taking three months out of your your calendar to do a learning strategy then create a lot of e-learnings spend a lot of time on that then pushing that out to a hundred thousand people or ten thousand people or whatnot all that time spent on some business ethics or fire safety or whatnot e-learning all that time is not coming back that's a lot of money wasted Mm. on what and and i'm like that's the truth. That's an inconvenient truth that we're not addressing enough is how valuable is our work to the, you know, to the real people doing real work. Mm. I mean, the production workers out there, they must sometimes think about that guy. He's head of digital learning. What exactly does he do? And how does that create value in the same way that my work at the production line is creating value? Yeah. We need to think hard about removing stuff that has no value. A lot of PowerPoint presentations and meetings can be avoided, right? Mm-hmm. Internally, it's like we spend so much more time, like four times more time we spend on internal presentation instead of external towards the customers. So, I mean, just imagine the time that we could save from not doing ridiculous, redundant work in our workplace. It, it frustrates us. It gives us the bore out and it's just unnecessary and it could, it could, Maybe it could even lead to, a, and that's what they suggest, all these authors talking about bullshit jobs and soda work is just take a day off for reflection and focus and, you know, upskill yourself or whatnot. Just make, have, the company should invest in that instead of having another mm-hmm. steering committee meeting with another useful, useless PowerPoint, something that has to be updated on something that never, never gets anywhere. So um, I love that book and, and, you know, start out with the David Graeber one with bullshit jobs. That okay. would be a, a good epiphany for, for some people. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> so so if if I was to ask you, and this can be, take these next lot of questions as kind of, you know, professional or personal, however you want to take them. Let's, let's picture this piece. So stadium, a thousand, a million people are going to come out of a stadium now and we're going to see a billboard. That billboard belongs to you. What message would you put on that billboard to shape a million people's minds? Oh, that's a good question. I go talk to someone you don't know. Okay, okay. Do you want to elaborate? Uh, the key message for me is, and it doesn't even have to be someone you don't know, but that's always a good learning experience conversations mate that changes things that changes mindsets people you follow recommend something for you that's what you go see that's what you go you know if if i recommended something to you for you and and i was a trusted someone for you you'd probably go and see it or read the article Mm. or whatnot that's what we do in social networks that's what we do in workplaces we look at the people we want to be or 
we want to, you know, we're inspired by and we do what they do or we follow what they follow. And we have conversations where we start reflecting and start questioning our own views and, you know, putting nuances to what we think was real and then we evolve. It's through conversations. Yeah. And we're afraid of having conversations sometimes, especially with someone we don't know. We could benefit a lot from that. And yeah, I just, I'm a firm believer in conversations. That's all. Cool, cool. Okay, taking you back to your childhood again. Can you remember the first time you ever got in trouble? And yeah, what what did you do? So many things. <laughs> I remember. I remember one situation. Um, yeah. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for writing me out on this one. Okay, I was five or something like that. Just not very old, right? And we went to, uh, I had a twin brother and we, we always played with the other kids around the block, right? And we went to this, um, one of my friend, one of our friends' house, house there and we sat in the basement and, um, and he was younger than we were, right? So there was money lying around there in the house. Not a lot, right? But there was money lying around. We knew what you know money was, and he obviously did not. So we were like, we can trade in some useless stuff that we find somewhere in the forest for money. So we walked out of there with money, and we thought we were pretty smart. And this four-year-old, he's got his, like, I don't know what it was that we found, wood or something in the forest. He was like, he was also pretty happy. So everyone was happy, right? And we came home, and... Our parents saw it, right? They, they, you know, we five-year-old with money in, in his pocket it was like kind of odd. So they took us out and said, "What have you guys done?" Well, we did this. We're pretty smart, and he was happy. He's happy about it, so everything's good, right? And they were like, "You go back, take the money back, and you had to apologize in front of the parents and the kid, and everything was like, yeah, that was so embarrassing, and that was well, you know, that shaped some of my feelings around, you know." That, that was just deliberately stealing for someone that was weak. <laughs> that was a pretty pretty dirty move, wasn't it? And I don't feel proud about it. I just admitted this on tape. I did it. And I was I was very sorry about it afterwards. And yeah, that wasn't a very nice feeling. Yeah, I thought it was smart there, but yeah, no, it didn't work. There <laughs> are the signs of entrepreneurship right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably in the wrong way. But, yeah. uh, but it, it, it ended up... Um, you know, good anyway. That I apologized. I learned something, and and he got his money back, and everything was good. But <laughs> I felt very embarrassed, and I also do that right now. I tell you, this is very embarrassing, actually. <laughs> so, so kind of taking you from from kind of yeah your childhood to kind of now, and and everything what shapes you to to I you know to now. Do you even like yourself? Yep, most of the time. Um, I am a, I'm very you know. What's that called? Self-critical. I'm. I think a lot about what I do and how I do it, and it's painful to learn from my mistakes. But I make mistakes all the time, um, and I try to be very reflective around, you know, put reflections to what I do. I am. I always tend to jump fast into things without thinking too much, and that sometimes that rolls over. You know, that that's that's not kind of um, people get hurt in that process sometimes and sometimes I 
just you know make stupid jokes or use sarcasm and, and all that stuff that's not very well received and and I get into situations where I I do something wrong and I learn from it um, so there's there's some things about me that I do like um, and there's a lot of things that I can do better and then there's the long-term things where you know somebody calls me out on social media or whatnot and I get you know you can get pretty Triggered. upset about these yeah. things and and then it starts a process of me thinking about that for a month or two and then I come back and I'm like yeah I was wrong mm. I should have done differently and a lot of people have been calling me out lately saying well you always talk bullshit about you know the current learning solutions and why don't you come up with you know creative suggestions to how to solve this and I'm like that took a while because mm. I was pretty comfortable in just being on that side of things just calling out things as being wrong but they're right I need to put the money where my mouth is mm. and that took me a while to get in that process so I'm growing up right now Danny that's good that's good <laughs> but I think I think I think that's natural progression though right like it's, it is easy to be here and, and kick everything and I, I, you know we, we spoke a little bit before it's about how I kind of realized a couple of, well, a while back about how I was doing the same with e-learning and like it's not it's, it's probably not you know I've said my piece about that and to keep saying it kind of Nick is always the first person to say this is like you run the risk of sounding like a grumpy old man <laughs> and I'm like I'm, you've got I am a grumpy old man <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean, I'm not afraid of being a grumpy old man. I think it has its place. Yeah. I think someone has to call these things out. Um, but I think as you set yourself, at some point it gets yeah. you know, uninteresting. It's not really interesting anymore to listen to that. It's just just solve it instead of, of keep saying it's wrong. I mean, and, and, and I think they're right about that. Um, and I also think, I, I listen a lot to what Mark Sao Sanders does and says, and I'm very inspired by him. I hope he knows, but um, being kind instead of judgmental and, and just trying to find something positive instead of calling out things as negative, it's just so much more rewarding. Yeah. And I'm, I'm slowly turning around. I'm not... Um, by default a good person in that sense I need to learn how to do that and I need to learn how to see the value in that because it's been so much easier to be the other person mm. and I'm trying to make that journey into you know supporting and, and and being positive more than having to call out whenever I see something that I think is wrong that is a personal journey which is really interesting and I'm probably, you know, coming late to the party. It's probably been around uh, um, that kind of, you know, people, some people do that by default. And some people never learn, I guess. But for me, it's been a realization that I probably need to put in more work than a lot of people in becoming that kind of person. I want to go there. I want to try it out. I want to see what the benefits are on the other side when you can actually do that. And I, I think it's much more rewarding if you're a manager like I am that you do that with your team and you do that with people around you is going to give you so much more value and add so much value to much more value to your work than the other thing yeah i i think um 
Nick said something, and I think it was Nick said it to Gemma, and, and it's kind of, Gemma's mentioned it to me, I think she said it on the podcast recently, it was about this idea of sandcastles. And like, you build, I think Nick told Gemma, and then Gemma kind of brought it back up, and Nick told Gemma, he was like, you build sandcastles, and you can build these great sandcastles, and you can put a big, you know, fortress around it, and a bridge, and everything around it, he said, but you've got to be prepared for the seeds coming and flatten it and somebody else is going to build a better sandcastle. And I think that was my aha moment when Gemma explained it to me. And it was a case of, so now I try to give everything. I try to give everything what I've got in my head, I give it out. I'll put it on LinkedIn. People like it, people hate it, people think it's stupid, people love it. I don't care. Because if I, if I can shape just one person's take on things and, and they look at it and they take it away and it makes them do something different or think different or it gives them value in whatever way it gives them, then that's job well done. But I'll be honest, I probably didn't have a aha moment probably till last year. And it's like that thing of just give everything what you've got for free and then people can take what they want from it and what they don't want from it. Yeah. But it's uh, I, had a, I had a great mentor as well, Sakib, who's one of the people who sounds like very much, I've met Mark a couple of times and he's a nice guy, but my mentor when I very first got into L&D, Sakib, he's like that. He's just, just so, so kind and so, like, not in it for himself. And it's just, it's. I think you need that, don't you, to go, I need to be more. I need to take more of what you do. Be me, not be you, be yeah. me, but take the good of what you do. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a good journey. It is. And it, I think, and with all respect, and that's also something that is very relevant to the conversation about L&D is... It takes time and that's all right try imagining you know saying that in a you know steering committee meeting where they're trying to see you know we want results and they're like it takes time guys and that's all right so that's a learning journey and a process um, and that kind of you know when you and that's also something we need to trust in people that they have for their work as well that kind of journey it's like, I want to be better at this because I can see that it might be good for me. It's like they'll find their own answers and journey along the way and the people to talk to and the content to consume and all of that. It's like, that's something we need to trust people to be able to find on their own. Yeah. And we can help them in that process. But we cannot define it. And we can't do it like, we can't define the you know amount of time they're supposed to spend on it either. So trust is also huge issue yeah interesting one so so kind of going back into this L&D world a little bit I mean just being mindful of your time as well I guess but when when it's you know we look at social media now and we look at LinkedIn I think we very first got talking on Slack I think we talked about Sprint the book and I sent Sprint over and we got talking and stuff and we and you know, there's a there's a, such a good power in, in LinkedIn and in social media. But what do you think L and D's social media presence is like as a whole? Oh yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I'm mostly on LinkedIn, so I I'm not posting as often as I used to. Um, also based on what we just talked about, but um, I think it's very divided. I think there's a huge echo chamber of people wanting to do the same thing, the good thing in L and D. And, and having a difficult time breaking out of the machine that it is, maybe being a little bit impatient about stuff. And then 
There's also a huge amount of people in L&D who is pushing the agenda of more LMSs, more uh, LXPs, more e-learning and all that kind of stuff where you kind of can get a little bit frustrated with where they are and where I am really working on trying to treat it with kindness and openness. They might be right. Not sure they are, but I mean, I have to keep things open, right? So I think it's a very divided environment. Um, but there's a lot of good things coming out of it. And oh my God, there's a lot of good people out there working in L&D who wants to change things and do things good and, you know, do the right thing. Some are struggling, some are doing great things. I think there's a, there's a lack of good stories around people succeeding with the solutions that we have available and, and good cases around something that really, really worked. Mm. There's a lot of good intentions and a lot of good ideas, but I'm, I'm, I would love to see more like this really worked. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that's difficult, but I would love to see more of those. So, so kind of going back to LinkedIn, who's, who's, and take this as four, but if, you, if more come to mind, feel free, Peter, but who's a four, four people you recommend everybody should follow in L&D? Um, well, you can't really follow one of them anymore. It's Matthew Ash from MediaSuit. He just deleted his LinkedIn profile, mm -hmm. I think, for kind of some of the same reasons we've been talking about. But he's such a such a such a skilled dude. I, mean, I always listen when he talks. I always listen. Um, then I would recommend following Laurie Niles Hoffman as well with her data-driven learning design and and all that. She's just pure reason. I mean, she's mm -hmm. you know she's the real deal. Um, I would recommend following the guys from Filtered, uh, so that would be Mark Sautanders, uh, Toby Harris, James Tyers, Vinit Patel, great people, awesome people, um, yeah, and yourself? Eh? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. I also follow you and what you do. What you see, I'd also recommend people to do that. They will do anyway. They're on the podcast. <laughs> so they, they might need someone new. I don't know. Or if we're still in the same echo chamber. Um, and then I also follow, obviously, I also follow uh, Nick's, Nick's work uh, as well. And that's spread out because everyone likes his stuff. And I see that a lot. So that's also good. And I find someone niche, maybe. Um, that I Julian Studd does not get enough attention with his sea salt learning. I mean, I know some of the stuff is might be untraditional or a little bit, you know, on the weird side sometimes, but he's amazing. Mm. If you read his work and if you just have a conversation with him, I mean, yeah, I, I would have find time for him any time of the day. So, yeah. Cool. Okay. So, so where can people find you? Well, you can add me on LinkedIn. You're not going to, you know, hear a lot from me, but you, you, if you start a conversation with me there, that would be the best place, probably also the only place. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not, I'm not on, well, no, I'm not a Slack, I don't really use it anymore. LinkedIn is the only thing that sticks. Yeah, find me there. Okay, okay. So, so I guess right at the very start, I asked you what you want, you know, when the teacher asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, and you mentioned a teacher and a footballer. Mm -hmm. But obviously, as you know, Peter, we, we never really stopped growing, and, you know, so if I was to ask you now, Peter, what do you want to be when you grow up, what would you say now? Mm. A pirate? A pirate? Okay. You know what? When I 
get older. I've got two kids now, they're on the way. And when they grow up and have kids, I'm going to have grandkids on my lap. What stories am I going to tell them? Am I going to tell them that I was in, in an office doing learning strategies with digital learning for all my working life? Is that the story I want to tell them? No. I want better stories. And, you know, a pirate, they tell the best stories, right? I mean, yeah, there's something to that. I was reading books when I was little, like, you know, these great adventurers and all that stuff. What happened to people? Yeah. They're stuck in an office eight, ten hours a day. Yeah. We, I think we lose it, don't we, as children? Well, we shouldn't lose it, but I always go back to certain films, which takes me back to my shot. Goonies is a prime example. It's the perfect movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Because it has everything. It has adventure, curiosity, risk, and, and treasure, and, and whatever else. And I think one of, one of the biggest... I think one of the biggest worries that I see when we grow up now is that we assume that adults can't be children anymore and that's 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 scary. Yeah. I don't know if it's a midlife crisis for me. <laughs> Might be. The next thing I'm going to buy is a, is a skateboard. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I've never tried it. I'm like, this is not satisfaction. It's not sitting in an office 10 hours a day. I mean, we need better stories. Mm. Awesome. So I guess right at the start of the session, I should pick four four numbers. Session, bad podcast. <laughs> um, and your four numbers are tied to a random list of items. Mm-hmm. And the idea, really, Peter, is that basically you're on a desert island and you find these four items. And I need to know what you do. Your first item was a condom. Right. Your second item was a paintbrush. Your third item was a pencil. And your fourth item was a glow stick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on a desert island. Yeah. What do you do in four items? Oh, man. That is... That is... Um, all right. Um, that's an artwork right there, right? Because I have a lot of time. So I'm probably just gonna blow some air into that condom and then I'm gonna paint it with whatever as you know comes to mind over a couple of days I'm I'm gonna you know put the glow stick inside the the condom as a, you know in the balloon and make you know make an artwork so you get light from the inside break it when I you know that's it's gonna be it's gonna be a coordinate coordinated assignment it's gonna be difficult and then I'm gonna make it, you know, if I can, airborne somewhere where someone can see it. If they want to pick me up, they know it's a strange guy living there, but also a very artistic dude. I don't know. It, it's an artwork to me. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I hope some of this makes sense for you. Yes, it definitely did. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure my listeners will. Cheers, cool. Peter. Cheers. Yes.